My guest today is Pam Jinoff, author of the novel, The Woman with the Blue Star. Pam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel yet, how would you describe The Woman with the Blue Star? Well, so The Woman with the Blue Star is actually my 11th book. So hopefully a few of your readers uh, or listeners have been with me as readers previously. Sure. Um, But for folks who haven't heard of me, um, my books largely center around the Second World War, their historical fiction. And The Woman with the Blue Star was inspired by a true story, which I discovered, of a group of Jewish people who survived the war by hiding in a sewer in Lviv, Poland, an absolutely incredible story. And so my book was inspired by that um, and involves a young woman and her journey to survive in those harrowing circumstances. And what kind of research did you do about the the ghetto and the story that you um, read about um, the survivors hiding in the sewers? Well, you know, so I write fiction, so I'm never writing the true story. I'm always inspired by the true story. And in this case, it started with a really wonderful nonfiction book, and it was called In the Sewers of Lviv. And um, the the author's name, the author was Robert Marshall, and he had researched this really extensively. And so um, there was lots of detail about the sewer and how the people survived. When I wrote my book, I ultimately decided to move the story to Krakow, Poland, instead of Lviv. And so I was going to, I was all set to go to Krakow, where I once lived for um, a research trip. And I was supposed to leave on March 11th last year. So Uh that never happened (laughs) due to COVID. (laughs) So what was your writing journey that originally led you to writing and getting your first novel published? So I was one of those little kids who always wanted to be a writer. I was always scribbling and showing people what I wrote, and it was never short stories or poems. I always kind of wanted to write the novel. But through my many years of being in school and living abroad, when I actually had plenty of time to write, I could never quite get that project off the ground. And so the turning point for me was 9-11. Um, I had returned from Europe where I'd worked as a diplomat and I went to law school. I graduated from law school and I began practicing law at a large firm on September 4th, 2001. And one week later, 9-11 happened and I had this real life epiphany where I thought, wow, you know, being a lawyer is fun and admirable, but I've always wanted to be a novelist. And if I had been a 9-11 victim, I never would have realized that dream I didn't have forever to get started. So I actually took a course at Temple Night School in Philadelphia, and that course was called Write Your Novel This Year. And I started working on my very first book um, after, you know, as part of that course. And so can you talk about that course a little bit? Who who taught it and, and what was that experience like for you? So it was a phenomenal course. The instructor was Janet Benton. She's a novelist in her own right. She's a dear friend. And she actually has a private workshop now at a place called the Word Studio that she runs. Um, And so it was a workshop where, I don't know, 10 or 15 of us sat around and we did writing exercises and we shared our work. And uh, so many gifted writers I remember from that workshop. And I did continue in her private workshop for a number of years, though I'm not able to do that presently. Sure. And so did you write your novel in the year? 
That's a good question. <laughs> I started with two sample chapters from two different projects in that workshop, and the group sort of liked one of those chapters better. So I started working on that. And I don't remember how long the first draft was, but then there was the whole finding an agent and then working with the agent to revise the book and then all of the rejections. So I'm going to say that from the time I started until the time I could walk into a store and see my book was five years. So I can't quite remember the breakdown. (laughs) So as you mentioned earlier, you do write fiction and not nonfiction. What is your writing process when you're working on a novel? Do you outline extensively or is it more of an organic process for you? Well, so I, I'm sure you've heard that there are plotters and pantsers, right? right. Plotters are your souls who outline and write nicely and pantsers write by the seat of their pants. And I have always been a pantser. I throw the words down, you know, Natalie Goldberg calls it throwing up on the page. And I've always been a pantser, which number one is terrible to edit. And number two, I'm going to be completely honest here. I turned in a manuscript about a year ago that was just awful. And, you know, my editor, who I respect tremendously, said kind of, this isn't it. And I had to go back and rewrite 90% of that book. And that was a very much an experience of my pantser roots. And so for the projects I'm working on right now, um, I've actually done an outline, which is not at all me. I'm still throwing words down, but I have an outline which tells me kind of where to throw them. And how is that process going for you? It's good. You know, sometimes it's a slightly easier lift when it's early morning and you've had no sleep to know like, okay, I'm going to write such and such scene. Um, I don't really find it constraining, but I think if it came to that, I could turn around and, you know, revise the outline. I don't think I'm bound by it. Right. So have you had feedback over the years from people that you worked with as a diplomat about the novels that you've written? I have. I'm very, very lucky. So um, backing up, I was a diplomat for the U.S. State Department in Krakow, Poland from 1996 to 1998. So this month is actually 25 years since I went to Poland. And interestingly, I'm still friends with um, not just the other diplomats, you know, through social media, but I'm still friends with a lot of the local folks who work in the consulate in Krakow. Um, And so, and, you know, when I was going to go back last year for the research trip, they were helping me out with all of that. And my books are published in Polish as well. Um, So I'm very lucky to kind of have that, that support and that feedback. And so why is it that the World War II era kind of fascinates you and that that you write about that era? So when I went to Poland, um, it was right after the country had come out of those decades and decades of communism. And at that time, they had many issues from World War II that they had simply been unable to resolve when they had no free speech and they were cut off from the West. There were many unresolved issues from the Holocaust. And when I arrived, I'm Jewish, and I kind of had a natural relationship with the elderly Holocaust survivors there. And so the consulate put me in charge of those issues. And for two and a half years, that's all I did was work on the war while living in kind of this world that's very, you know, feels like the war and is geographically proximate and all of that. And so I was very moved and changed by my life over there after those years. And I consider my books love stories to those people. Well, given your experience of writing the novels that you've written, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? 
Well, I do have a few pieces of advice. The first is you must be really disciplined with your time. So even after all of these years, nobody ever says to me, oh, why don't you go take some writing time, right? You have to find that writing time and you have to protect it. That's super important. I also believe that you must be very tenacious when you're trying to get published because I spoke about those talented people in the, um, you know, in the writing workshop that I started with. And most of them are not published. And I maintain that the only difference between me and them is that I kept trying to get published. Many of them were better writers than me. Um, but I think it's the, the continual knocking at the door until it opens that made a difference. And then the last piece is this. Um, as a writer, you must be able to revise. It's really important that you're able to take someone else's feedback and incorporate it into work in a way that is your own. So those are my big pieces of advice. And have you ever thought about what motivated you to keep knocking on that door when, as you mentioned, other writers kind of didn't? Well, you know, the first book, it's really interesting story. I'm not sure of the why, but I'll tell you the how. So sure. the first book, uh, The Commandant's Girl, did not sell. We got rejected by 39 publishers. And my then agent said, well, go write another book and we'll sell that one first as if it was that easy. <laughs> and so I was working on a second book and I'll still remember, I still remember it was April 8th, 2005. I was sitting at my job at the law firm on a Friday afternoon and the phone rang and caller ID said it was my agent. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And I picked up the phone and I said, are you firing me? Because this poor guy had not made a dime. I hadn't sold anything. And he told me that, no, in fact, one editor who we didn't even know still had my first book, had it made an offer and it was 11 months later. So I, I don't know why I kept going, um, but that's how it worked out. <laughs> So what fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, I read a lot and across, not just historical fiction, but all of it. And I want to tell you that I'm in the middle of something right now called 100 Days of Books. This is the third time I've done this. And every day for 100 days, I post across all social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, everywhere one book that I enjoyed. So I'm at day 75 of the 100 today. So I've been doing this a lot and the books are all jumbled in my head. Um, recent <laughs> historical fiction that I've really loved. Uh, Lisa Scottolini's Eternal just came out. Lauren Willig's Band of Sisters, Julian Cantor's Half-Life are all this month. This is a very big spring for fiction. And, um, and then um, other books I've liked, Ask Again, Yes, uh, by Mary Beth Keene and Ghosts of Harvard by Francesca Saratella was really good. I just finished Are We There Yet? Um, so I'm reading everything. That's great. Well, are you working on a new novel now? I am, but will you forgive me if I don't say what? Normally, I talk freely about it, but for some reason this time I'm just being holding my cards a little bit closer. It's also World War II. 
Um, it's set in Belgium where I haven't set anything before. So that's sort of interesting, uh, but stay tuned on that. One. Sure. Sure. H- have you, have you given thoughts to writing outside of World War II? So uh, of my 11 books, two of them were modern. Um, and one was a historical modern hybrid, right? So mm-hmm. most of them are historical. And of my historical books, I will tell you, they're not all World War II. Right. So I wrote a book called The Ambassador's Daughter, which is set just after World War I, Paris Peace Conference, and Weimar Berlin. Um, I wrote a book during World War II that was very different, and it was called The Last Summer at Chelsea Beach. And that was World War II on the home front, Philadelphia and Atlantic City. So I've written a bunch of areas, but I don't know that I'm going to jump to anything super modern. I think my heart and my readership's hearts are are kind of centered where we've been. Sure. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Well, I encourage each and every person to find me online individually. I love to hear from people. Um, I do have a Facebook author page. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, um, all under my name. I have a website, pamjenoff.com. People can email me personally through the website if they'd rather do email, as well as, you know, all the places that people talk about books like Goodreads. Um, I, most places, I'm not that good at Pinterest, although I am keeping a board there for, to keep track of the 100 days. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Pam Janoff, author of The Woman with the Blue Star, The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Pam, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Woman with the Blue Star by Pam Jinoff. Available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Kraków, Poland. March 1942. Everything changed the day they came for the children. I was supposed to have been in the attic crawl space of the three-story building we shared with a dozen other families in the ghetto. Mama helped me hide there each morning before she set out to join the factory work detail, leaving me with a fresh bucket as a toilet and a stern admonishment not to leave. But I grew cold and restless alone in the tiny, frigid space where I couldn't run or move or even stand straight. The minutes stretched silently, broken only by a scratching. Unseen children, years younger than me, stowed on the other side of the wall. They were kept separate from one another without space to run and play. They sent each other messages by tapping and scratching, though, like a kind of improvised Morse code. Sometimes, in my boredom, I joined in, too. Freedom is where you find it, my father often said when I complained. Papa had a way of seeing the world exactly as he wanted. The greatest prison is in our mind. It was easy for him to say. Though the manual ghetto labor was a far cry from his professional work as an accountant before the war, at least he was out and about each day seeing other people, not cooped up like me. I had scarcely left our apartment building since we were forced to move six months earlier from our apartment in the Jewish quarter near the city center to the Podguzha neighborhood where the ghetto had been established on the southern bank of the river. I wanted a normal life, my life, 
free to run beyond the walls of the ghetto to all of the places I had once known and taken for granted. I imagined taking the tram to the shops on the Runic, or to the Kino to see a film, exploring the ancient grassy mounds on the outskirts of the city. I wished that at least my best friend, Stefania, was one of the others hidden nearby. Instead, she lived in a separate apartment on the other side of the ghetto designated for the families of the Jewish police. It wasn't boredom or loneliness that had driven me from my hiding place this time, though, but hunger. I had always had a big appetite, and this morning's breakfast ration had been a half slice of bread, even less than usual. Mama had offered me her portion, but I knew she needed her strength for the long day ahead on the labor detail. As the morning wore on in my hiding place, my empty belly had begun to ache. Visions pushed into my mind, uninvited of the foods we ate before the war. Rich mushroom soup and savory borscht and pierogi, the plump, rich dumplings my grandmother used to make. By mid-morning, I felt so weak from hunger that I had ventured out of my hiding place and down to the shared kitchen on the ground floor which was really nothing more than a lone working stove burner and a sink that dripped tepid brown water. I didn't go to take food. Even if there had been any, I would never steal. Rather, I wanted to see if there were any crumbs left in the cupboard and to fill my stomach with a glass of water. I stayed in the kitchen longer than I should, reading the dog-eared copy of the book I'd brought with me. The thing I detested most about my hiding place in the attic was the fact that it was too dark for reading. I had always loved to read, and Papa had carried as many books as he could from our apartment to the ghetto. Over the protests of my mother, who said we needed the space in our bags for clothes and food. It was my father who had nurtured my love of learning and encouraged my dream of studying medicine at Jagiellonian University before the German laws made that impossible. First by banning Jews and later by closing the university altogether. Even in the ghetto at the end of his long, hard days of labor, Papa loved to teach and discuss ideas with me. He had somehow found me a new book a few days earlier too, The Count of Monte Cristo. But the hiding place in the attic was too dark for me to read and there was scarcely any time in the evening before curfew and lights out. Just a bit longer, I told myself, turning the page in the kitchen. A few minutes wouldn't matter at all. I had just finished licking the dirty bread knife when I heard heavy tires screeching, followed by barking voices. I froze, nearly dropping my book. The SS and Gestapo were outside, flanked by the vile Jüdische Ordnungsdienst, Jewish ghetto police who did their bidding. It was an aktion, the sudden unannounced arrest of large groups of Jews to be taken from the ghetto to camps. The very reason I was meant to be hiding in the first place. I raced from the kitchen, across the hall and up the stairs. From below came a great crash as the front door to the apartment building splintered and the police burst through. There was no way I could make it back to the attic in time. 